What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the boogie Wooker man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. in the ring from the Soviet Union, weighing 298 pounds, Boris Sukhov. Jimmy Hart and the Honky Talk Band, this encounter is not going to be just two ships passing in the night. You know, first Ladies of all, and I love to listen Mr. to Boris Sukhov sing. Don't you, have you all rise uh, and respect I love his singing his music of the Soviet Union. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by PassPros.com. Head on over to PassPros.com for autographs and signed memorabilia direct from over 100 former pro athletes, including Dave the Cobra Parker, J.R. Richard, Al Oliver, and many, many more. And why don't you head on over to PassPros.com, hit the wrestling tab, and see all of the autograph signings coming up associated with the two-man power trip of wrestling and get exclusive Mail order discounts by ordering through PassPros.com. Again, it's PassPros.com. And when you buy directly from a former pro, you know that the authenticity is guaranteed. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad. And as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only John Paz. And John, we welcome you back into the show after a brief stint on the disabled list. But you are back and you're here to join us. For the other half of the Bolsheviks, 
Our guest today, Boris Zukov, joins the two-man power trip. And just coming off our episode with Nikolai Volkov, it is so awesome to be able to kind of complete the old tag team of the Bolsheviks. That when you think back to the 1980s, the late 80s specifically, you think about Nikolai Volkov after the Iron Sheik had left the WWF. And getting a new tag team partner and coming in from the AWA was Boris Zukov, a guy who, if you didn't know anything then, which I don't think most of us did, you never would have thought that Boris Zukov was anything other than a guy straight off the boat from Russia with a thick, thick Russian accent and a big old Russian beard. But it turns out that Boris Zukov, there is more to him than meets the eye because John's going to tell you about something that's very surprising about Boris Zukov. But again, you think about the career of Boris Zukov, you think about a guy who was in the WWF in a hot period like the late 80s and teaming with a Hall of Famer like Nikolai Volkov, obviously a team that worked together very, very well. And John, as I get to welcome you in here, why don't you talk about the Boris Zukov interview a little bit? Give us a couple of the highlights and obviously... When you think about the Bolsheviks, you think about a team that was a villainous team. You think about two bad guys that like to scrap with some of your heroes, some of your favorite teams, but together they made such a perfect unit. And Boris joining the WWF was the right place at the right time. And just to kind of throw it in there, we told you that 2017 was going to start off like a house of fire, and it totally has. And Boris Zukov getting in there with Nikolai Obviously, the perfect match for that late 1980s WWF scene. Yes, Chad, back here at the two-man power trip of wrestling. And like you said, 2017 has been on fire for us. Boy, one big-time interview after another. And this week, obviously, we finish off the week with Bolshevik Week. Yes, Boris Zukov. The other half of the Bolsheviks, along with Nikolai Volkov, who you heard earlier in the week, two tremendous, fantastic interviews with two of the nicest guys in the world, which is funny because when they were the heels, the villains, back in the 80s and uh, early 90s in the WWF, they were known as terrific, you know, scary guys. And now, you know, getting to talk to them and getting to know them, obviously, you know, now being much older and much wiser, they're two of the nicest guys we've ever had the privilege of interviewing. So it's just awesome to get to know them and talk to them and think back to when it was the late 80s or early 90s, if you will, and the Russians were the most evil people in the world. And two guys that just played those characters superbly and amazingly was Nikolai Volkov and Boris Zukov. And the funny thing about that is when you really think about it, you think of Boris, you think of that voice, you think of that look, you're like, what a scary, scary guy. When you first get him on the phone and when you first hear him in this interview, you'll notice his voice and you'll notice he's not really Russian or you'll notice he's not really from Russia. He's actually from Virginia. And, you know, his voice, it really, really kind of throws you off. And I thought that was a really interesting part. I'm like, is this really Boris Zukov? Oh, my God. You know, uh, you know, like, I can't believe that's really his voice. That's not the, the scary Russian that we all, you know, grew up hating. So really interesting. You'll n- notice it absolutely, imme- you know, immediately. He's got that southern twang. You know, he's got that southern accent, that southern voice. Yes, it is actually Boris Zukov on the phone. He is actually from Virginia and lives down there in West, the West Virginia area now. So don't be alarmed. Don't be kind of thrown off by it. But that is one of the uh, more interesting things 
that you'll notice right off the top with the interview for sure. Now, as far as the interview itself, we run through his whole run, his whole career. We talk about his whole run as Boris Zukov, starting out in Mid-South with Bill Watts, then in the AWA with Vern Gagne, obviously winning the AWA tag title along the way, and then, of course, entering the WWF and all things Vince McMahon, all things Bolsheviks, and we talk a lot about Nikolai Volkov, where they were teaming or feuding. So this is a really, really fun interview with one of the nicest guys we've ever had the opportunity to interview. One of the nicest guys in the world, believe it or not. And that is one that played the, you know, Russian villain to the max when he was Mr. Boris Azukov. Played it to the max, and he played it very well. And when I said this was going to start out the year like a house of fire, I didn't literally mean that, as I think some fire trucks are either speeding by you as we speak or uh, doing something out there in the background because I could hear a distinct siren going on. So house of fire indeed. But speaking of somebody on fire, it's Boris Zukov who's on fire today as really he just he hits so many great topics and a lot of things that are going to go kind of uh, they, they got to really be delved into when you're the fan you're thinking about this and what I like to do when I hear an interview is I, if somebody's talking about something that I'm not too clear on you know I'll type it in the old Google machine there and I'll look it up or I'll head over to YouTube or I'll head over to the network and I'll try to find something but one of the cool things about Boris is that we talked to Sam Houston about the first Royal Rumble but Boris Zukov was actually another guy who was in the first ever Royal Rumble match and with the Royal Rumble coming up it's cool to get the take of somebody who was in a match kind of just out of the blue not knowing that here we are 30 years later and the Royal Rumble is pretty much almost on par with WrestleMania in terms of the fans anticipation for it and it's cool to see that all the way back in 1988 when Boris Zukov was in the first Royal Rumble well we had no idea what it was going to turn into so that is one really cool takeaway from the interview but he didn't always just play Boris Zukov. There was other dimensions to who he was. And although we do remember Boris, John, there's another part of his career that kind of gets overshadowed. But if you're a hardcore Mid-Atlantic fan, if you really, if you dive deep into the career of Boris Zukov, you find that there's something else in his past that is pretty, it's almost just as interesting as his time as the, uh, the great Boris Zukov. But John, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? And uh, kind of give us a history lesson here, if you will. Yeah, just one other thing that I wanted to mention about Boris Zukov, you know, about this interview, is that we not only just talk about his whole run as Boris Zukov, whether it be Mid-South, AWA, WBF. I mean, we do talk extensively about WBF and all those great tag teams that the Bolsheviks wrestled. We talk about WrestleMania Six. talk about the Hart Foundation. We talk about Royal Rumble. We talk about Survivor Series. I mean, we talk about everything and everything about the WWF run of his career. But we also take it back to the start of his career, and we also take it back all the way to when he was in the NWA at the Jim Crockett promotion territory. We talk about his run as Private Jim Nelson in Sergeant Slaughter's Cobra Corps, along with Don Carnoodle. Obviously, he was a former two-time NWA Mid-Atlantic Tag Team Champion with Don Carnoodle. So we do run the whole gamut. We talk about his complete career. We go through it all. And one of the things that really kind of stands out with me with, with a lot of these guys, and especially a guy like Boris Zukov, who's a legitimate legend in this business, and he's been everywhere and he's done it all, is that when you can kind of pinpoint those big moments in the guy's career and kind of 
take that big moment and kind of stretch it into all these different little tentacles and all these different little spider webs. And I love that because when you talk about the NWA and you talk about his run in Jim Crockett, you go from Private Jim Nelson, then you go to Don Carnoodle, then you start talking about Sergeant Slaughter, and you you know you keep getting all these different angles on it, and it's really really cool, and it's a really fun interview, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Like Boris said to us off the air, he loved going down this trip down memory lane, and we absolutely loved taking that trip with him. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy a really really fun interview with the other half of the Bolsheviks. And enjoy not only this, but kind of, uh, if you haven't listened to it already, go back and listen to Nikolai Volkov interview as well and kind of compare them together and get the whole Bolshevik run from both angles of the group. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Have some fun with Mr. Boris Zukov. Oh, yeah, definitely go out of your way to check out the Nikolai Volkov interview if you have not already. It'll piece together a couple of things, whereas Nikolai's not as uh, wordy at, at some of the answers as Boris is, but it'll still bring together a couple of the uh, general Bolshevik topics uh, between the two of them, and it's always cool to kind of complete the tag team, but it's definitely a first for us where we completed one tag team in the span of one week's worth of episodes. So that in itself is a two-man power trip of wrestling first. But one more thing I want you to take away from this interview is I want you to listen to what he has to say about Jimmy Superfly Snooker. And obviously, with what has gone on with Jimmy Superfly Snooker in the last couple of years of his life, um, we're kind of not, not fully in the Chris Benoit territory, but you get your detractors that don't want you to kind of glorify um, you know, what could have been uh, perhaps... Uh, you know, a, a murder that took place or don't, you don't, well, we're talking about the wrestling side of it. And I, I mentioned that a few episodes back. We're talking about the wrestling side of Jimmy Superfly Snooker, but the fact that Boris Zukov was kind of mentored by Jimmy Snooker is really cool. And you get to hear what it was like for him to work with Snooker, not only in Mid-Atlantic, but then later on in the WWF. And that was actually a personal favorite uh, part of mine uh, for this interview. And I really, uh, I hope you do take away something uh, from that part of it. And uh, as we start to move forward here again, we got another huge episode coming in the next week. And as I've said before, and I'll say it again, I defy you to find another lineup that is like ours on any other podcast network or on any other show, because there's people who do interviews with wrestlers, but there's nobody that really goes out there and got, and just really, we compile the greatest list of guests out there on the pro wrestling podcast scene. And you can take that to the bank and John, as the music starts to creep in, why don't you do this and hit him with a little bit of two man power trip of wrestling business and then get it on over to Boris Zukov. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please visit our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Subscribe to us on YouTube. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, check out the feed for some legendary episodes featuring the living legend himself, Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Ray Mysterio Jr., Jerry McDivitt, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Mr. Wonderful Paul Ondorf, AJ Styles, and so many others. Also, while you're surfing the web, check out WrestlingInc.com. Yes, that is WrestlingInc.com. They are the number one 
wrestling news source out there, so please check them out. Also, while on the internet, go to ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, ProWrestlingTees.com is your superstore if you are a super fan. And you can please check out our page while you're there. You can check out Tito Santana, Paul Orndorff, Coco Beware, Magnum TA, Buff Bagwell, and so, so many others. Follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017 as we hit the road and we come to a town near you. April 22nd, we hit Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at the Icon Collectors Fest. Then, May 19th and May 20th, we hit the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling Expo in Richmond, Virginia. Then, follow us to New Jersey as we hit Legends of the Ring in Monroe. So please follow along with the two-man power trip of wrestling in 2017, because you never know where we may land. And now, without any further ado, a former AWA World Tag Team Champion, a former two-time NWA Mid-Atlantic Tag Team Champion, you may know him as one half of the Bolsheviks, he is... Boris Zukov. Please enjoy. Yeah, it's very good. So really, yeah, glad to have you. And Rick Kelly, uh, he messaged me the other day and he said, you know, I, I can't believe I've never tried to put you and Boris in contact. And uh, within seconds, we were talking. So we, uh, Rick's a great guy. He's really, uh, yeah. just, he, he speaks the Yeah, he sure is. In fact, uh, yeah, uh, me too. Uh, uh, Rick was my last match, uh, my last professional match in 2013. So yeah, that's, uh, so uh, yeah, that was uh, that was pretty special for both of us and stuff. So yeah, yeah, that was the first <laughs> thing that he said to me. The, the absolute first thing that he said. He said, "You'll never guess this. This is a great trivia question." He goes, "But you, uh, you're uh, you're talking to a guy who had Boris's last match," and I was like, "Wow, that is uh, that's actually a really yeah. cool footnote." <laughs> so oh yeah, 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 yeah. In fact. Uh, uh, when I found out I was going to be uh, wrestling him and stuff, I said, you oh, that's that's going to be my last one. I said, I couldn't pick a better guy to have it with. So it, uh, it all worked out good. So, yeah. So right right there at the end of 2013. So. Oh, that's yeah. great. Wow. That, yeah, that's not that long ago at all. But Rick, uh, what I like about Rick is uh, he's he's kind of – he reminds me, like, of that old school – you know, style. He's got a uh, the way he is now. I don't know how he was in 2013, but the way he is now, he carries himself like an old school heel. He's very, he's a big loud mouth, you know, with the uh, with the fans. And uh, yeah. I love watching his program. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what he was doing then. So that was why I thought it was uh, uh, great for me because that's uh, that was the period that, uh, that I grew up and uh, enjoyed wrestling uh, the most and stuff. And uh, uh, Rick's carried that on and, and doing a great job with it and everything. So shoot, uh, that, uh, uh, that's what, that's what made it special for me was, uh, the way, uh, Rick is and carries himself and those, uh, old school type match and all that. So that was great. So <laughs> you, you could, you could almost call Rick a student of the game because he learned under, uh, under Jimmy Valiant. So he's, uh, he's a student of the game, but you know, if you're ready to go, yeah, we'll just kind of roll uh, right into it. Nice, uh, you know, nice little start we got here. Yes, sir. Uh, sounds great. Uh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, joining us on the line tonight is a man who is not only a former tag team partner of another former guest of ours, Nikolai Volkov, but he's a two-time NWA Mid-Atlantic Tag Team Champion. He's a former AWA 
World Tag Team Champions. Like I mentioned, tag team partners with Nikolai Volkov in the famed Bolsheviks tag team. The one and only Boris Zukov joins the two-man power trip of wrestling. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Oh, I'm glad to. uh, I've been looking forward to it, Steph. It's a big honor for me to be here, sir. Uh, we're uh, we're so honored to be talking to you. We love uh, we love talking to your era and the guys that we watched growing up and the guys that we sat there on Saturday morning and we watched every single minute of you performing. And it's for John and I, like I said, to talk to Nikolai and now to talk to you. We love completing the tag teams, so we're very happy to have you on with us. But as we're kind of talking before we got rolling here. You know, we remember you from the 80s, but I don't know if many fans know you just retired only in 2013. So how was it finally lacing up the boots for the last time against a good friend of ours in the great Rick Kelly? Uh, well, it was uh, uh, very, uh, uh, I guess you'd say, uh, uh, sombering stuff, you know, because I uh, uh, knew the time was coming to an end and stuff. And uh, uh, hey, uh had a great, a great ride and a uh, great career and stuff. And I mean, uh, shoot, uh, so many of the guys I got to grow up uh, watching and stuff that I, uh, I got to get in the ring, uh, ring with and wrestle with and travel with and all that stuff. So that uh, uh, that made it real special for me and stuff. So. And one thing that's very special. One thing I think the fans are going to notice right off the bat, if we haven't established it already, but. We always knew you as somebody who didn't talk very much and that you didn't really have a good grappling on the English language. We thought Boris Zukov was uh, right off the, the old uh, boat from Mother Russia, but it's so great to hear you talk, and I hope the fans kind of get that too. Is that something that you always kind of had, you know, when people would come up to you to talk to you, did they always think they were getting the Boris Zukov that really didn't communicate that often in the ring? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, if I spoke to him, I used the accent, or a lot of times I just ignored people didn't didn't speak at all of the stuff. Cause uh, that uh, if you didn't speak to people, if you, you just looked at them and uh, uh, they didn't know what to think, that would create a mystique and stuff. And uh, uh, that was something uh, that I learned from the uh, from the old timers, you know, uh, uh, guys like uh, uh, well, uh, Ivan Koloff himself and. Uh, and uh, Nikolai himself, uh, uh, Roddy Piper, uh, the, the old heels and stuff, uh, uh, the Anderson brothers, uh, people come up and talk at him. You just turn and look at him and act like they're not even standing there and stuff. You get more response from people like that than, it, than if you say anything. So, and it always leaves people wondering what you, what you think and, and everything else. You know, it always leaves a lot of uh, 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 question marks and stuff about you and uh, the, uh I think uh, I think that's something that's that's missing a lot today. Oh yeah, absolutely. And one thing that is uh, kind of making its way back in is that you know a little bit of a, of a rivalry that the the WWE has been able to establish with you know America versus X country, and that of course in the eighties it was you know pretty much a, a hot button issue the uh, the conflict with Russia. And things going on with different characters. I mean, every uh, every promotion had a Russian character that would be, you know, one of the top heels in the company. And obviously, like you mentioned, Ivan Koloff, and then there's Nikita Koloff, and then there's Nikolai Volkov, right. and there was Russia Khrushchev, and then yourself. 
And that was really a big part of the promotions in the in the late 70s, early 80s, into the 90s. But now the WWE's kind of dabbled in it a little bit by having the Rusev character. And we had asked Nikita Koloff about it a few years back when we had him on about how they have to portray a, quote, Russian character a little different in today's, you know, PC point of view. You know, they can't really go as blatant as they did back then. But what do you think of how they portray, you know, a Russian character in this day and age and that they got to be a little bit more careful of how they try to get heat from the crowd? Yeah, well, the uh, uh, thing is, uh, everybody knows what you're doing anyway. So, they, I mean, once they gave all the trade secrets away, yeah, they killed a lot of it anyway. And that's, uh, that's a sad part. But, I mean, uh, good versus evil works every time it's tried. I mean, if you watch some of these old uh, these shows that are on now, like uh, – uh, NCIS and stuff and everything. If you have the good, good Americans and you have the evil uh, ISIS player or uh, Al Qaeda player and stuff, I mean, uh, uh, it's the same thing. It's good versus evil. And uh, if it's used right and done right, it works every time. Like back in the 80s, uh, Russians uh, uh, shot down a, an American aircraft, and then you had the uh, the great national uh, 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 hockey team, which was the Russians, who never lost to anybody. And the Americans finally pulled pulled one out of the hat and, and and beat them, and they weren't expected to beat them. I mean, that's what set that whole thing on fire. I mean, that uh, shoot uh, Ivan Koloff was in Atlanta, and uh, uh, shoot uh, uh, that was a big big hot thing then when the the Amer- Americans beat the uh, U.S. Uh, USSR uh, Russian hockey team because they never lost. I mean, they came over here and beat beat our best pro teams, and. Uh, they never lost to anybody, and when they lost in those Olympics that year uh, up in uh, New York and stuff, I mean, it uh, it just changed everything. And uh, um, uh, shoot, uh, 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 turned this whole country around. I mean, uh, uh, a lot was riding on the backs of the uh, of the hockey team after that, after they beat the Russians, because they never lost to anybody, and then they finally got beat. Yeah, that 1980 U.S. hockey team, it's obviously anytime the, the Olympics come around, it's always like the biggest Cinderella story in history is, you know, the big bad Russians went right. down to the gritty American team, and yeah, good versus evil, and, you know, how is it going to prevail? And even we saw the Rocky movies take the Russian and make him the right. unstoppable villain because that's the way it was, and, and in the 80s it was a big deal. But obviously, you know, we're going to hit on all the other parts of your career, but this one being... I think the part that a lot of people remember, and that's, of course, you know, the WWF run, and John and I, I mean, we could just sit here and wax poetic about it till the cows come home, but playing it in different territories, I'm sure it was crazy to get heat, but when you brought it to the WWF, how do you feel it was kind of carried on by putting you with Nikolai, making that team kind of uh, move on to what you guys were going to do, but how do you think Vince took the Russian characters and kind of made it, you know, into his own liking? Yeah, well, uh, well, uh, he had uh, Iron Sheik and Nikolai and everything, and uh, I'd been in the uh, AWA, and then uh, when they contacted me, they said they wanted to uh, bring me in and put me with Nikolai and ha- have the Russian tag team and everything, and uh, shoot, it was such a natural heat. I mean, golly, Nikolai and Sheik had so much heat and stuff anyway. It was like a cakewalk for, for me and stuff, and uh Goodness, all we had to do was go out there and wave that flag, and Nikolai sang that national anthem, and, and shoot, they'd boo us out of the place. Shoot, uh, a lot of places we had to be escorted uh, 
uh, in and out and stuff. And, uh, and it was funny. It didn't even matter if we lost and stuff, because all we have to do is turn around and say, you Americans uh, um, uh, cheated. Uh, you couldn't beat nobody fair and square if you wanted to. And, uh, and they're ready to kill you again, you know. So uh, we had a blast doing that. And uh, places like Philadelphia and Boston and Madison Square Garden and stuff. I said, goodness gracious, man. He was, he was lucky to get out of there without the, uh, uh, having half the concession stand dumped on you. So <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, that's uh, those are hotbeds, especially the WWF in the 80s. I mean, you were going to Philadelphia. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, and the sad thing is the heat like that that we had back then, you know, he had to really watch out for yourself because it was people trying to cut you and stuff. I mean, uh, I mean, one time some fans threw something – Sue, uh, uh, I don't know if it was, uh, 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 shoot, uh, glass, uh, I think it was like a glass bottle about hit Elizabeth with Randy Savage and stuff. They was trying to hit Randy and end up hitting her and stuff. And I mean, guys today, you can't buy that kind of heat now because people don't believe it. I mean, right. it's, it's a show to them. And back then it wasn't a show. It was real life to people. And, uh, we was their release. People that got upset at work or was upset with stuff at home and stuff. I mean, uh, they came and took it out on us, and you had to watch. I mean, somebody would try to uh, uh, spit in your food if you got if they got close to you in a restaurant, or might pull out a knife uh, uh, going back to from the ring and stuff. Guys don't have to worry about that now because now it's a joke. It wasn't a joke back then. I mean, uh, you really had to watch out for yourself, and the guys had to watch out for each other because a lot of times the security in these buildings could only do so much. Uh, the boys had to look out for themselves too. Which I think is always kind of funny that it's, there's such a difference between, you know, I'll call it yesterday or old school and today because the guys that are in there today watched the old school. It's just that it's being programmed a lot differently and that the powers right. that be charged are more, you know, really prone towards the entertainment value, the sponsors, we got to have this, we got to have X. You know, number of uh, certain looking guys on the show, and we gotta you know work in this angle for a, a, a you know sponsor. So there's different varying things because the guys that are in there now definitely grew up watching that era. But like you're saying about going to those hotbed territories, you guys are going there once a month. So if they couldn't get oh, you yeah. in September at Madison Square Garden, they only got to wait a couple of weeks for you to come back. Did you like the New York Territory and the fans that were in Boston and Philly? And because they were so rabid, did that help you become a better bad guy? Oh, yeah, yeah, because uh, you, you, uh, you'd feed off of it. You know, uh, you'd feed off of that and stuff. And uh, uh, you tried to make everything as uh, believable as possible and stuff. In fact, uh, you know, uh, if you think about uh, uh, it, was, it was just so sad, you know, uh, when Jimmy Snooker passed away this past week. When I was in the Middle Atlantic Territory, when I first came in, and he was the uh, tag team with Ray Stevens, and they was doing matches with Steamboat and Youngblood and some other guys, and uh, Jimmy and Steamboat ended up doing uh, a series of matches in areas, and they ended up doing cage matches. Well, Jimmy get on top of the cage. He got up on top of the cage in Richmond, Virginia, and I'd never seen him do this. And he jumped off the top of the cage, and Steamboat moved at the very last second. I mean, Steamboat couldn't have waited two more seconds and Jimmy would have hit him flying off the top of that cage. And Jimmy hit that mat and he didn't move. And the whole place just went dead silent. They thought Jimmy was dead and they carried him out the stretcher. And uh, you could hear a pin drop. I mean, uh, Steamboat barely rolled over and covered him for the one, two, three. And the place was just, uh, they, they couldn't believe it. 
and they, they towed him out on the stretcher. Uh, and uh, uh, and uh, in fact, that, that's when Jimmy was leaving the area to go to uh, go to New York and stuff. And they they thought Jimmy Snooker was finished, but uh, uh, and stuff like that don't mean nothing no more because guys jump off it uh, all the time, and it, and uh, uh, they don't sell it worth a hoot, and so it doesn't mean nothing anymore. So uh, 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 I mean, that's how much times have changed. Yeah, it's not a high spot anymore. It's like, uh, you know, it's a transition move. It's to, uh, <laughs> to right. move on to whatever the next uh, spot in the match is going to be. But obviously, yeah, we'll hit that right. now. Uh, you know, the passing of Jimmy Snooker this past week, obviously, you know, unfortunately the last couple of years of his life, uh, not, I would say, uh, how I thought, you know, or I think anybody thought the Superfly would live out his uh, final days. But what are some of your memories of, of Jimmy Superfly Snooker as a performer you know, like you said, coming off the cage, obviously a spectacle in itself, but what are some of your uh, memories of uh, kind of working in the same territories as uh, Jimmy Snuka? Oh, yeah. Well, shoot, yeah, because uh, well, when I came to the Mid-Atlantic area, you know, he was a heel and stuff, so we traveled a lot together and everything. But uh, Jimmy just had a pulse. I mean, he knew how to uh, how to do the people. In fact, when, when I got into single matches with him in the AWA, uh, Jimmy taught me uh, – how to take that crowd and, and he could just get them in the palm of his hand and stuff. You could start out a match and the whole, and, and Jimmy said, he's just watch these people. And we'd walk around the ring real slow. And then we'd get up and we'd get nose to nose. And, uh, Jimmy could just work the crowd with his eyes, just making and, and facial expressions and stuff. I mean, that's where I learned a lot of that stuff from was Jimmy, uh, uh, how to get reactions from the people with your body and with your face, and how to make every little thing mean something, and just milk it for for everything you could get and stuff, and get the people up to a certain level. It goes before you give them what they what they paid to see, and what they wanted to see and stuff. And uh, he was just a great storyteller. I mean, I'd never seen nothing like it. And he was so agile. And uh, goodness sakes, uh, he could kick his legs out and jump up and, and, and hit the uh, uh, his. Uh, his palm of his hands with his toes and stuff. And I mean, and, uh, like I said, he did that super fly and he, and, uh, I, I tell you, uh, you, I hardly never felt it, uh, the way he did it. Cause he, he didn't jump. He floated, he floated off that top rope. And, uh, uh, it, it was just something to see, to see, uh, how he could do people. I tell you what, when it getting to be a lumberjack and matches with him and steamboat took my breath away. Cause, uh, those are just two incredible athletes to watch go, go in a match like that. And, uh, but, uh, he, uh, he just knew uh, how to work the crowd and how to get the crowd worked up and, uh, tell a story. And, uh, uh, he was one of the best natural, natural storytellers in the ring. Uh, I ever saw in my life and uh, in tremendous shape, just uh, unbelievable uh, all the time. I never, I never saw him out of breath or winded or anything. <laughs> Yeah, I, that's one thing I think a lot of people kind of get lost on the whole Superfly is that, yeah, we see him as the guy jumping off the top rope, but you got to look at him because especially in the early 80s, I mean, there was nobody. You want to talk about, you know, Hulk Hogan had the Pythons and uh, Andre was obviously the biggest guy in the business, but Jimmy Snuka might have been the best built and really just rock-solid-looking guys in the early 80s when nobody oh, yeah. really looked Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Jimmy was ripped to shreds and stuff. I mean, he just uh... – he just looked phenomenal and stuff, but you could just walk up to Jimmy. Jimmy could just uh, do his eyes a certain way and get reaction from the crowd. And uh, I learned so much from him in the ring. It was just, uh, 
golly, any time I got to get in the ring with Jimmy Snooker, it was uh, uh, it was just a learning experience, just just to watch him work the crowd stuff. He says, "Okay, guys, just follow me, butter." He says, uh, "Let's do uh, do this," and he he show you, lead you into it and stuff. And when they just had the people going freaking nuts. And uh, uh, I said, "Golly, Ned, it just uh, it, it was just something just so inspiring to be in the ring with somebody like that. The ability, the ability that he had, and uh, it's just uh, uh, a lot of the guys today just uh, he just had a feel for it. Jimmy, uh, and uh, uh, that was a special thing about him is he he had the feel." Uh, the pulse of the people, and that's that's what made him uh, as as great as he was. I mean, uh, like guys say, he was over like a million dollars, and he was. Oh yeah, unforgettable, timeless, as we like to say. But you know, you you saw him early in your career in Mid Atlantic, and obviously, you guys had matches in the WWF in the late '80s and early '90s. And do you see a difference in the way Jimmy worked between? The uh, you know your your first run in with him down in Mid Atlantic up to you know when you guys were a little bit more experienced and he was kind of towards you know the tail end of his WWF run. But was there any difference in how you guys uh, kind of worked together uh, between the uh, the different territories? No, no. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, Jimmy was always always the same, and uh, thankful to him and people like him and and uh, Sergeant Slaughter and uh, other great baby faces I got to work with and stuff. Uh, uh, it, it, it got easier for me because I knew exactly where Jimmy was coming from, and he knew what to expect from me, and I knew what to expect from from him and stuff because uh, uh, he taught me so much. So because you know, he, he he could go out there and work the crowd into a frenzy and not hardly break a sweat, and just ha- and just have them in the palm of his hand, and not everybody there's not a lot of guys that can do that. Jimmy definitely you know in ring one of the all time greats, one of the most you know, revered guys of all time. But, you know, thinking of, of the WWF and kind of going back to that a bit, and obviously the Bolsheviks come in and, you know, you're paired up with Nikolai. Did you sense an immediate chemistry with Nikolai? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, it's easy to watch you. I had watched him in Sheik uh, and stuff, and Nikolai had been uh, uh, down in the Mid-Atlantic Territory when I was working down there. So uh, I'd seen Nikolai then and knew him then, then too and stuff and everything. And, uh Great thing is uh, Nikolai uh, let me know what what to expect from him, and uh, you know, and then uh, he knew what to expect from me and all that. So they, it all worked out uh, great. But uh, shoot, uh, Nikolai was so established uh, in the WWE and stuff, you know, with the national anthem and stuff. I mean, he just uh, as soon as he got done doing that and that flag and stuff, I mean, um, the people were right there, and you just you just had to take the ball and run with it. Because you know it got handed off to you and stuff, and a clean handoff, and all you had to do is take it and go with it and stuff. And uh, uh, but him being established like he was with uh, uh, all his years that he was there, plus with the Iron Sheik, that uh, that made it a piece of cake. <laughs> and the WBF at that point, obviously, you know they're at the top of their game. They're bringing all these awesome guys in. They got all this awesome talent. What did you think about the tag team division at that time? Because arguably it's the greatest tag team division basically in the history of the business. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you had uh, the British Bulldogs, and you had the you had the Hard Foundation. You had Roma and, and uh, uh, the youngest, uh, the, the young Italians, uh, uh, Roma and uh, uh, Jim Powers. I mean the the Rougeos. I mean the list just goes uh, uh, on and on. I mean it was a phenomenal list of tag teams there and stuff, and then. Uh, uh, and I tell you, every one of them was a night off. I mean, uh, the Killer Bees, Brian Blair, and, and uh, Jim Brunzel. I mean, just 
just phenomenal. I said, golly, it was a, it was a pleasure and uh, honor every night to get in the ring with uh, uh, these guys and stuff and everything. And it, uh, it was having all these great tag teams and stuff just just, just made uh, everybody's work a lot easier. Yeah, I mean, that was just uh, only a couple of tag teams that you mentioned there that was a part of that roster. I mean, so many great teams. And remember uh, the Strike Force as well. You guys got a tag team title shot. And your oh, yeah, 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 yes, yeah. That's another Strike Force. Uh, Tito uh, uh, Santana and Rick Martel, uh, both great in single matches, and they were just super in tags and stuff. I mean, golly, they're talking about a, a night off for them guys because uh, they were so over with the people and uh, and all that. Uh, that made it easy, too, and stuff. But, uh yeah, I love Dynamite Kid and David Boy. I mean, those were my two uh, two favorite guys. Uh, I loved working with with them guys and stuff. I mean, the uh, the bumps they'd give you and uh, and the w- way they would uh, sell for us and stuff in the ring. I mean, it was just uh, uh, just uh, a pleasure uh, to work with guys like that, you know. And uh, and, and Brian Blair and uh, Jim Brunzel were great too. Uh, just uh, uh, f- phenomenal teams. Uh, Roman Powers. I said, golly, Ned is, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just, just uh, uh, every night was like that. Uh, great every night, and uh, and then later on when we got to work with Demolition, uh, Axe and Smash, you know, gotten so established with uh, uh, Fuji and stuff, and we got to work some with them. That was uh, uh, that was a, a a great time too. And then even crazy. Uh very popular but wacky tag team and the bushwhackers too you guys worked a lot oh yeah yeah butch and luke oh yes yeah goodness they were uh <laughs> yeah that that was a lot of fun too and stuff and everything so uh we fell right in uh ease with them and stuff because uh with that gimmick of theirs and stuff that that was easy to play a uh, play off of so yeah yeah we just man uh it was just uh uh a dream getting to work all those tag matches and stuff with all those great teams. Yeah, literally. I mean, you could just keep on naming all these teams, and they were all great in the WWF at that point, and they were all pretty much, you know, kind of in their prime as a team or on top of their game as a team, Powers of Pain, the Rockers, so many great right. in that era. It's crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sean and Marty, I said, golly, Ned, uh, uh, girls just went crazy over them and stuff and everything. Goodness sakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when uh yeah, back then uh, we didn't have we didn't have to worry about a bad night anywhere cuz anybody you got in the ring with was going to be uh great and fun and he was going to have a good time and and the people were going to get a good good match and a good show. And then that one Survivor Series match that you guys had in 88 um where you just throw all those teams together, you know, it was basically like, you know, 10 teams against 10 teams or whatever the the number was. There was the amount of talent, the amount of good tag teams that were in the ring at one time was just unbelievable. Do you remember that big time Survivor Series where you had all those tag teams in that one match? Oh, uh, the, uh, Survivor Series? Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember when that, when that started. Yeah, that was uh, that was always a phenomenal night and stuff. As a man, that was just uh, just so easy and stuff. It's like taking candy from a baby. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because uh, the fans just loved it. Uh, that, that was a thing. The fans really uh, enjoyed uh, 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 all those tag teams and everything. So I think I was really a big big part of the night was uh, was all that. It was an interesting part of the Bolsheviks. Obviously, you and Nikolai with that Russian thing, you guys get so much heat. But 
when they put Slick with you, it was kind of a weird pairing, but it oddly worked, and it was kind of funny. Did you like working with Slick as uh, part of your team? Uh, uh, do what now? When you added Slick as your manager at one point to the Bolsheviks, did you like uh, having Slick as uh, you know as a part of the team? Oh, yeah, 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 because he was such a character and stuff. I mean, he's great on the on the interviews and stuff. He had the personality they had, yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoyed Slick Tremendous and stuff. Uh, yeah, he was uh, he was just super and stuff. Uh, uh, r- really enjoyed him and everything. And uh, uh, the people hated him too. I mean, the uh, way he uh, ran his mouth and stuff and everything. So that uh, uh, that was good extra heat uh, uh, having Slick and stuff. You know, uh, uh, at ringside plus having him on the mic and stuff. So uh, uh, that that was a big part of our team, I think. And then obviously Vince eventually comes up with the uh, before obviously before the series, but he comes up with the the Royal Rumble, the idea of it, the first ever one, I guess, is really Pat Patterson's baby, so to speak. But you were in the first ever Royal Rumble match. What were your thoughts kind of going into that? Did you see it kind of ballooning into the huge, important event that it is today? Uh, yeah, yeah, because, uh, shoot, it was, just, it was just growing and getting so big, uh, uh, big back then and stuff and everything, you know, and uh, it's, um, yeah, it, uh, and the, and the, the point it's gotten to today is just unbelievable. So yeah, uh, uh, it, it is it has really really grown. And uh, wow, I, I believe really grown in something a lot bigger than I ever thought it would be. So now with current right the current wrestling current WD, do you keep up on current wrestling? Do you watch any current wrestling or, or not really? No, no. Uh, some of the guys I knew got out, like uh, well, when Shawn Michaels uh, uh, retired and everything, uh, uh, I hadn't watched because uh, 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 I just don't get into the product today. I mean, it's it's not like it was when I was growing up and and all that, and it, it's it's changed so much. That is for sure. I mean, you were in the, the golden era, basically. You guys had all those larger-than-life stars. I feel like that's kind of a a thing missing from uh, wrestling today, you know, those awesome characters, those larger-than-life stars. Do you kind of agree with that with today's wrestling? Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. The uh, thing is now, yeah, you have some guys come and go, and uh, some guys have come that I've never uh, uh, never heard of or uh, never seen of before, and the next thing you know, they're gone and everything and stuff, and it's just... Back in the day, there when you had the territories and guys could go from place to place and stuff, and uh, you know uh, uh, that was a great thing uh, when I started before the WWE uh, uh, came along and got so big and everything. Is uh, 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 you could go to uh, different places and stuff and 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 work and people hadn't seen you and and all that, but with uh, everybody watching all the same TV all the time now and. Uh, you can only get so many guys, and uh, you know, at one time and stuff. And uh, when guys, when guys get wore out and stuff, you have to try to find uh, new guys, or if guys get injured and 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 try to replace them. And uh, I just think it's a lot harder on them today than it was years ago. Now, kind of going back to the WWF and your run there, obviously it lasted for a, you know a number of years. 
But you ended up breaking up with Nikola. He ends up turning face. You guys end up feuding. Did you enjoy doing that feud? Did you think that was kind of the right timing for it and the right way to go with you guys? Yeah, yeah. Well, with what was happening with the uh, the country and stuff with uh, uh, Gorbachev and Reagan and, uh, and the wall coming down, I mean, uh, Vince was really uh, was really big on uh, uh, doing stuff that made sense that was going on with the uh, with the uh, the news and all that stuff. So. Uh, Soviet Union was falling apart, so it was time for the Bolsheviks to fall apart, and it it, it all made sense because there it, it, it was a story of the world, and uh, and he wanted to tell the story too in the uh, the Russian world that the, uh, uh, we were coming to the differences between uh, uh, Nikolai and myself and everything, and so uh, uh, the time and all that was uh, was right, and uh, I can't blame uh, Vince for doing that because to have uh, tried to keep up. You know, uh, the way it had been going, uh, it, uh, I don't think the people would have brought it as well. Because the heat the heat was going away. The wall was coming down. The Soviet Union weren't going to be no more. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, and that and that was the heat, you know. And uh, and uh, all that was going away. So it, uh, it, all, it all came together like it was supposed to, I think. Interesting thing, I know we've mentioned Rusev a little bit before, and obviously, you know, Rusev and Lana were kind of the Russian couple. Now they're more the, the Bulgarian couple. But you think that, you know, old school Vince would have had like Putin on TV or something, given how kind of a, you know, a villain he has become to America? Well, it hadn't been the same. I mean, uh, the Russia today is not what the Russia was back then. I mean, uh, you haven't had a Russian. Uh, 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 I mean, the Soviet Union, I mean, uh, the difference of the heat between the Soviet Union and the United States was brutal. I mean, you're talking about, uh, you know, the, the old Russian leaders talking about uh, burying the United States or uh, anybody that gets in their way and they shot an American plane down. I mean, you can't get more heat than shooting shooting an American uh, uh, plane down and stuff. And uh, uh, the heat that happened, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, with the Russians and stuff, and they're going to play uh, uh, with uh, different things with uh, Gorbachev and so with the uh, the wall and all that stuff. I mean, it's just uh, to me, it's it's two different Russias. The Russia today don't have half the heat that we did then. Now going back to you know '91 and the WWF, you end up leaving the WWF. Obviously, you were doing a lot of jobs or, or, you know, you were kind of uh, on a little bit of a losing streak there. But did you want to leave? Was your contract up? What was the status of why you left the WWF in 91? Uh, well, like, uh, basically the the end of the story, I mean, the Russian thing was uh, was come to, uh, to a close. I think he would like to have got me into uh, doing something else, and I didn't want to do nothing else. I didn't want to change gimmicks and uh, – Nikolai was going to, was doing the babyface thing, and that was uh, uh, okay with uh, with him for that and stuff. But uh, I didn't want to completely drop the Russian gimmick and and do something else. And uh, it's just like it was in the old days. You go into territories, and the guy, you have a time that you you work that territory, and then the time comes for you to leave. And uh, it was time for me to uh, to leave there, so I I ended up doing a year year or so of uh, independence and stuff and everything. And then with the Regular territories uh, all closing up because uh, Vince had taken over most of the television markets and stuff. I uh, I looked at to uh, just phasing out of the uh, uh, the business and then just doing stuff uh, 
uh, here and there because uh, uh, the territories. Uh, I mean, uh, basically, Vince told us before uh, before uh, shoot before uh, WrestleMania of 1990. Uh, there's not many places else to go, guys. I mean, uh, he was taking over all the television markets. Promotions were closing up left and right. And uh, the day of the territories was gone. And uh, I saw the writing on the wall, and I looked down the road about just getting out of the business because I knew it wasn't going to be here, and it uh, and it faded away. And going back to WrestleMania 6, 1990, was your match always supposed to be that short against the Hart Foundation? I mean, I think it lasted six or ten seconds. Something, you know, in that uh, or they cut it down? They, uh, no, because they wanted uh, – originally it was supposed to have been eight minutes, but then uh, – uh, they was having trouble. See, all that stuff had to be timed, and they want. And the big main event that night was Hogan and Warrior, so that was the main match. And they wanted more time for Hogan and Warrior, and uh, Nikolai was going to be turning babyface on TV. We didn't need to go a long time, but Vince said it made more sense to do a short match like that, where I get ticked off at Nikolai and blame Nikolai, and then they would have the time they needed because once that time is gone on those pay-per-views. When those minutes uh, tick down, when that time is gone, it's gone. There's nothing they can do about it, and so they needed that extra time for that for that uh, for that main event, and that's what people paid to see. And so, and uh, Nikolai was and I was going to turn on TV that next night, and uh, and all that. So uh, uh, they decided to take the time from that spot right there. But originally, it was supposed to have been eight minutes. Oh wow. Never knew that. Always was curious about why, and you kind of figured it had to be some sort of time constraint. So, hope and a warrior needed. And uh, yeah, and uh, and the whole thing was uh, I complained that Nick, uh, that uh, uh, Nikolai didn't help me, that he let the Heart Foundation jump me and stuff, and uh, that was going to be the whole uh, thing around our angled stuff, and then that give them a strong win because they was going to be getting their uh, uh, their hands on uh, demolition to get 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 the belts and stuff and everything. So. But uh, yeah, there's a reason for all that. Yeah, uh, uh, all the uh, uh, those minutes uh, on those pay-per-views, they have they're allowed so much time on that pay-per-view. But once that time is gone, uh, they can't they can't add to it. When, when they get when they have to cut it off, and when that time ends, they have to cut it off. And that's that's the way it was then. And uh, Warrior and Hogan was the only thing that was the most important match at night. So that's what they needed that time for. Absolutely, and you know, you're, you're Boris Zukov in the WWF, but obviously you were Boris Zukov before you were in the WWF, and you were in the AWA, you were AWA tag champ, with sold that used to right. and you know, you're doing that gimmick, so obviously Vince kind of saw you doing that gimmick there and kind of took it, but where did that gimmick actually come from? Is that something you created? Is some something Vern came up with? How did... That's uh, that's one I came up with uh, uh, before I left Mid-Atlantic, and uh, uh, I came up with the idea and got a hold of uh, Bill Watts and Grizzly Smith, who was a Jake Roberts' uh, dad. He was down in Louisiana, and, and talked to Bill uh, Watts about it. And Bill Watts brought, brought me in and let me uh, do the gimmick. But I, I came up with a, that name on my own and stuff. And uh, uh, Bill Watts gave me a shot with it, and uh, I got started from there. Oh, so it actually emanated. It started in the mid south, not in AWA. Yeah, yeah, mid south, yeah. And because uh, I uh, that's when, when I left Mid Atlantic uh, in uh, in '83, I went to uh, Mid South uh, for Bill Watts there in uh, May June of '83, and then I was down there, and I ended up going to Texas with the Vaughn Ericks, 
uh, until the end of the year. And then uh, uh, the Ar- Armstrongs and Fullers booked me down in uh, uh, Dozen, Alabama, Pensacola, Florida, to start down there in uh, January of 84, brought me in as uh, Boris Zukov. Oh, okay. So a little bit of a run, but I guess it kind of got Vance's attention as soon as you were in the AWA doing it, you know, because of winning the tag title. It seemed like he really had his strong eye looking at the AWA, kind of, you could say, raiding some talent or poaching some talent. He definitely had his eye on the AWA for for a while. Right. Yeah, yeah, because uh, yeah, uh, Sergeant Slaughter got me up there. In fact, he got me uh, booked in up there in uh, – uh, in '85, uh, with Vern and stuff and everything in the uh, uh, the the AWA, so that uh, that's how I was able to uh, to get in up there was thanks to uh, 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 Sergeant Slaughter that I got to work the angle up there uh, with him and everything. So, how'd you like working with the Sarge? Obviously, one of the you know, huge stars of that generation. Oh yeah, well yeah, phenomenal because uh, I'd worked I'd worked with them together down in. Uh, in, in the Mid Atlantic, you know, with uh, his private Nelson and everything, so we already uh, already knew each other and already had uh, ideas on how we wanted to do things, and, uh, and he was glad I was doing the uh, Russian gimmick and all that and stuff. So that all uh, 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 that helped us a lot too, because we all already knew each other. So yeah, definitely. And if I could kind of rewind a little bit and even go back to what you're saying there, obviously with Sarge, you guys did the Cobra Corps thing. You know, in the JCP in the Mid Atlantic, and Sergeant Slaughter right. was basically kind of you know you quote unquote your leader for a little bit. You and Don Cranoodle, you guys were tag champs and stuff. But when you were Private Jim Nelson, you're under Slaughter and you're kind of doing that thing. Is that something again that just like you you come up with that idea, or is that something maybe Sarge pitches to you, or is that something you know you get from the bookers? Oh, you mean the Private Nelson thing? Yeah, when you became uh, Sergeant Private Nelson. Oh, uh, that was Sergeant Slaughter. He went to the promotion about it, uh, about bringing in a, uh, a private or whatever and, and the train and stuff and then doing the, eventually doing the tag team and all that. But, yeah, that was all uh, Sergeant Slaughter put that together with the uh, uh, promotion there with uh, Mid-Atlantic and everything. So, uh, yeah, he he came up with all that, uh, you know, because we ended up having a uh, uh, chauffeured uh, uh, camouflage uh, limousine we drove Sarge around in and, uh, and, and all that. So, but uh, yeah, that was all. That was all stuff that Sergeant Slaughter put together and stuff, and uh, 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 worked out great for uh, for Canoodle and myself. Yeah, you and Canoodle, uh, you know, definitely had a good run and, and good thing for the Sarge there. What do you think about the chemistry you had with Canoodle? Obviously, you guys had a decent run there in the Crockett. Oh yeah, 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 sure did and stuff. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, Don and I knew each other from working with each other. We had good chemistry uh, with each other when we worked uh, uh, against each other and uh, uh, knew each other and everything. So that all, uh, that, that whole thing worked together and stuff and everything. And then, uh, then the feed with uh, uh, Steamboat and Youngblood came in, came into play too and everything. So, and we had uh, great matches with, with them and everything. So uh, that, uh, that whole thing fell together real good. Sure did. Did you have any sort of military background going into it? Like Sarge kind of noticed that or, you know, wanted to push that? Or is it just, just a gimmick and it kind of just came from his head? Uh, no, it was just a gimmick thing. and uh, uh, But we, uh, we went, went over all that stuff, uh, studying that stuff, you know, and uh, uh, 
different scenarios and stuff and everything. And, uh, uh, but I, that was all stuff that Sergeant Slaughter helped me out with, uh, and stuff, you know, uh, 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 uh having a private and doing the training and all that stuff. And then, uh, putting me and Don together as a tag team and all that. But that was all, that was all stuff that, uh, uh, Sergeant Slaughter, uh, 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 helped us out with there and stuff. And he did a great job with it. And not too many years back, if I am correct on this, you actually kind of became Sergeant, I mean, a private uh, Jim Nelson again, right? You kind of donned the gimmick again and, and kind of, you know, rekindle it, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I ended up doing. Yeah. I ended up, uh, uh doing that, uh, uh, here at home and stuff and everything. Cause I'd been the, uh, uh, Boris Zukov and everything. Then they uh, decided to turn me back, uh, uh, turn me back babyface. So I ended up going back and doing the uh, 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 Private Nelson. Then I uh, then I uh, uh, went from the, uh, that and uh, d- d- uh, and turned it into uh, uh, doing a Sergeant Nelson and stuff and everything. So, yep, sure did. Did it feel good to uh, kind of um, be able to channel Jim Nelson again? You know, Private Jim Nelson. Yeah, yeah, because uh, this is the area that I grew up in. I'd been Jim Nelson here in the Mid-Atlantic area here in Virginia and stuff, so it was good to uh, uh, tell the story and go back and do that again. Then we brought in some old uh, 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 Mid-Atlantic uh, uh, legends and stuff, Sandy Scott and Johnny Weaver, because Johnny Weaver had been my tag team partner uh, uh, down there in Mid-Atlantic stuff, and then uh, brought Don Canola up here and brought his brother up here and and stuff like that, and, and tied it all in together. So it uh, it turned out it turned out really good, and uh, I think it was a nice way to uh, to uh, uh, bring things around, and uh, uh, you know uh, uh, bring the story back again. So back in your Mid Atlantic days, you mentioned a couple of the guys you worked with, but a couple of interesting you know teams that you wrestled. One was was really interesting to me was the Briscoe brothers, and another one you worked with Blackjack Mulligan and obviously his son Barry Windham. So even then, you you wrestling all these great tag teams, but I felt like that's an interesting pair. What was it like working with Blackjack and obviously a young Barry Windham? Oh, Barry, yeah, Barry, because golly, when Barry started out, he was just phenomenal. Golly, now I'd never seen. I mean, this kid was uh, just uh, awesome. I mean. Good grief and stuff, and uh, I said, "Man, he's gonna go a long ways," and he, and he sure did. And of course, uh, Jack was a, a big legend, legend in territory anyway. And I'd, uh, I'd been watching him for a long, a long time myself and stuff. So that was great to get to uh, wrestle him. Then the same thing with the, uh, the Briscoes. I mean, uh, just two phenomenal wrestlers. I mean, golly, uh, uh, Jack was a big champion in college, and they, uh, they were just both both great uh, wrestlers on the man. They were. They were brutal, good, and then shape. Goodness sakes, man! He, uh, <laughs> you, you'd, you'd have your tongue hanging out before you knew it with with Jack and Jerry. So hmm. you know, and, uh, and you always had to expect the unexpected from them because they uh, they could come at you from any angle. So <laughs> so they was always that was always a lot of fun. Jack and Jerry Briscoe, yeah, yeah, shoot that. And Jack was strong as a bull. I mean, I never tied up with a guy with the tendon strength this guy had. He was like wrestling a bear. I said, good grief. It was, it was freaking scary to lock up with the guy. <laughs> yeah, he, he could shoot in on you and fire him and carry you so quick and stuff that would make your eyes uh, your eyes roll back in your head. You know, I said, golly, man. <laughs> so, 
uh, he's one of those guys. If you ever go, you know, go back or see if, if it's on YouTube or if you got the tapes or anything, go back and watch that. Chris, I mean, you learn so much watching that guy. You're like, man, this guy, you know, great wrestler. Oh yeah, and, and could go. I mean, boy, he was amazing. Yeah, yeah, and it was like it was the same thing. Like uh, uh, Flair, you know, I learned so much from Flair and uh, uh, and learned so much so much from Ricky Steamboat. Just the psychology that these guys had, the ring psychology, and a uh, lot, you know. And so many of these guys data just don't have a clue, you know. And uh, 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 Steamboat take you out there and take you through a whole match. And when he take you through the match, you, you, there's a reason for everything you do out there. You know, the story you're trying to tell to people. And most stuff today now is so it's so it's so messed up. I mean, uh, I you guys don't even know what kind of story they are telling, you know. So, but uh, uh, Steamboat was another phenomenal. He was one of the uh, uh, like Snooker, he was one of the uh, uh, other best baby faces I ever worked with in the business, ever, was Ricky Steamboat. Steamboat, amazing, amazing guy. And the other guy, you just go back and watch, and like, man, you know, awe-striking. He's just an amazing wrestler. Perfect oh, yeah. baby face. The, you know, the absolute perfect baby face. You know, and, uh, and Jake Roberts was another good one. Uh, Jake had a great uh, uh, philosophy and stuff, and uh, the ring savvy and stuff. I mean, psychology. Uh, so uh, he was always fun to work with too. Jake Roberts was. Now I wanted to mention this, and I kind of glossed over, and I kind of uh, forgot to mention it when we were talking about the WWF, and we mentioned AWA for a second there. But the funny thing was, you left the AWA while still one half of the tag team champions. How did that actually happen when, you know, you being a champ and then leaving? Was the contract just up and Vince wanted you? Well, the contract, uh, yeah, the contract was up. Now, they had a lot of stuff going on. They'd had a, they'd been a little war back and forth between uh, the uh, the Rockers, Sean and Marty Jannetty, uh, uh, Sean Michaels and Marty Jannetty with the AWA and stuff and everything, and a uh, contract dispute. Uh, my contract was going to be running out when they contacted me about wanting to bring me in with Nikolai. And when they found out what the date was of my contract, if I wanted to come, I could either come when they wanted me to come, or uh, I wasn't going to be coming at all. So it was either yeah, it was either uh, uh, take it or leave it type thing. And uh, I decided to take it because uh, I'd had several people tell me, you know, if you turn Vince down one time, he said uh, he'll probably never talk to you again. So you know, and I, I saw what was happening to the business. I saw where the business was going, and I said, well, this will be my chance for my one run. And uh, my contract was expiring at midnight on a Friday night. And the next day, and the AWA had caught it, Vincent had me in Dallas, Texas the next night. Hmm. And uh, I just took the plane ticket, and I went to Dallas, and I, and I never looked back because uh, uh, because I knew I'd probably never have another opportunity like that. Because, uh, but there had been a big war between uh, the Rockers and uh, the AWA and the WWF and stuff. In fact, it, uh, they held them up a little bit and stuff, and uh, it was a, a really a big stink over it and stuff. So, and especially at that time when the AWA was still, you know, kind of thriving and they were still kind of a big deal at that point too. So Vince knew, right? You know, he's got to poach some of those guys, and you were happen to be one of them. Yeah, yeah, because I ended up going, and then uh, finally uh, the Rockers did end up going over there. The next thing I knew, Kurt Henning was coming over, and then uh, 
Nick Bockwinkel came over as an agent. I mean, you know, it just uh, and uh, it finally it finally looked like there at the end uh, that I made I'd made the uh, I'd made the right decision, you know. Oh, absolutely. But when, but when, like I said, when I winded up there in uh, at the end of uh, '90, going into '91 and stuff, they weren't hard. They weren't anywhere to go because all the other territories between the time I'd left the AWA in '87 to that time, it closed up shop. They were gone because Vince had brought up all the TV markets. When he brought up all that TV, uh, that was the end of it. Uh, then people, all these little promotions were gone. The difference between working for a guy like Vern Gagne and then working for a guy like Vince McMahon because obviously two very headstrong individuals who have a vision want it done a certain way, but you know, kind of coming down different paths to get to where they were. But was there any differences or similarities you saw between Vern and Vince? Yeah, I mean, uh, Vince wasn't afraid to take chances, he knew what he wanted to do and uh, was going to go after it, and uh, and uh. That's what he did, but there was a, yeah, uh, I say there was a big difference between Vince and his dad because his dad would have never done this. None of this uh, uh, was going to happen or did happen until Vince Sr. passed away. So, because uh, Vince had respect for the other territories and uh, his, his dad did and stuff, but uh, I mean, Vince knew what he wanted and was going after it, and nothing was going to stand in his way. And like I said, I said, one of the. Uh, uh, the meetings there up in uh, 89, 90 and stuff, he was telling us, well, guys, uh, uh, it's, it's this or nothing else because there's not, if you notice, there's not a lot of places to go anymore. I mean, he told us that in a meeting. Yeah, there really wasn't. But, uh, <laughs> I, I knew I knew all along, I knew all along when he did the first WrestleMania and I'm sitting in, in Dothan, Alabama, uh, uh, working the territory there. I said, this is going to change wrestling forever, and it did. And that was yeah, in 1984. Yeah, it obviously, it really did. And, you know, and Vince Vince Sr. versus Vince Jr., that's another one that we love to ask, you know, the differences between the two of them for guys that worked for both, uh, you know, both versions of what, you know, now is the WWE. But Vern Gagne and Vince McMahon definitely, you know, they had their dealings with each other and obviously a failed uh, business uh, agreement that uh, kind of went by the wayside. And you always hear the stories you know, about how Vern wanted to get back at Vince, whether it was the Sheik trying to break uh, Hulk Hogan's leg in their epic uh, championship match or, or things like that. But did you see Vern kind of keeping an eye on the WWF, or was he really just trying to keep the AWA afloat? Well, uh, both and stuff. But, I mean, his biggest mistake was letting – he had Hulk Hogan, and uh, he was selling out everywhere. And if he would have put the belt – the AWA belt on uh, on Hulk and stuff. I mean, uh, I think it, uh, things would have been different. But uh, he went about to do that. He wasn't going to let Hulk take the belt. And uh, but he had Hulk in the territory, and they were selling out everywhere. And uh, and then uh, uh, Vince pulled him out and brought him over there and put the belt on him and stuff. But if uh, if Vern would have gone ahead and put the big uh, the belt on him there in the AWA from uh, from Nick Bockwinkel and stuff, uh, I think things would have been different. At least for a while, anyway. Because when you look at that WWF, you know, 1989-1990, like you said, uh, Bockwinkel was an agent, Kurt Hennig had come over, Rick Martell came back, and that's also when you see the guys who jump ship from Crockett up to Vince at that point, even seeing Dusty 
come in in 1989. Now, I, that's kind of one that I really wanted to hit before, but I wanted to wait now. But when Dusty came in to the WWF, obviously you were there. Were the guys surprised to see Dusty taking the backseat role and just becoming, you know, one of the talents rather than being a part of the booking committee or in a management capacity? Yeah, yeah, because, uh, you know, uh, Dusty had heat with uh, different guys and stuff like that, and he just ended up being one of the boys and stuff. But, hey, he, he came in there and uh, uh, he took everything at Vince uh, threw it at him, and he made the most of it. And uh, that gum, he got, he got over too. So, yeah, they always talk about the polka dots. You know, the polka dots uh, maybe being oh, a yeah. rib and he was able to get it over. But, you know, do you see, did you see Dusty becoming more relaxed as just being a talent? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, after he got settled in and stuff and everything. Yeah, uh, uh, I think he was just happy being one of the boys again. I really do. Yeah, he, he saw a big difference in him. And then yeah, he had his son Dustin that came in there, and, and golly, Dustin was phenomenal. I said, golly, what a talent. Uh, I loved getting in the ring with Dustin and stuff. He, I mean, as young as he was, he was just just super. He ended up being a great talent and stuff. So uh, that uh, I think that meant a lot to Dustin, too, just uh, – uh, be relaxed, be one of the guys, and uh, be able to help Dustin and stuff, and uh, it, it paid off good for him. Yeah, I was good. That's what I was kind of working towards. Is uh, you had a match with Dustin Rhodes that was on television that uh, you know was really early on in Dustin's career. He had broken a few years prior, but you know Vince gave him the opportunity to actually have some matches on TV, and there was a really built-up angle where. Uh, Ted DiBiase had taken him out, and he was starting to get some match under his belt. Now, do you remember him specifically? Like, was he nervous going into like a first, you know, big TV uh, taping? One of the first matches he had on on live TV was with you. No, he was uh, uh, uh he was fairly he was he was fairly relaxed and stuff. And when, when he was got in the ring and stuff, uh, I was really surprised how uh, how calm and all that was uh, that he was and everything. And he. Uh, uh, he just ended up turning into one of the greats, but he uh, he didn't seem to have any trouble at all or anything. I was uh, I really had a fun time uh, working with working with him and stuff and everything. So, and with his dad being who his dad was, uh, you know, I was happy to see him because uh, I was afraid he was going to be nervous too and stuff, and he wasn't. He was calm and cool as a cucumber. Now, as I start to hit the wind down here, we talked about so many great moments in your career and some of your career highlights, but do you have a favorite match or maybe a couple favorite matches that stick out to you? I mean, like favorite matches and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. One of the most favorite was me and Canoto against Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood up in up in Toronto, Canada. It was just... It was just a great night, and everything just uh, uh, fell in place and stuff. And uh, uh, shoot, uh, we still hear comments uh, comments from uh, uh, fans from different places that were there and stuff. Uh, uh, have come uh, uh, that I've met in person and commented me too on uh, on Facebook and stuff. What, what a great match that, that was! But uh, uh, those guys were just, just such a great tag team, and um, the fans loved them, the girls loved them, and it was. Uh, uh, it was just uh, uh, great to get in a ring, ring with two guys like that and stuff. And uh, 
uh, me personally, uh, that, that's one of my favorite favorite matches of all time was uh, me and Don against Ricky and Jay. Awesome uh, match, and obviously Steamboat Youngblood, awesome team. And you work so many territories. I mean, look at your career. It's, it's awesome. I mean, you go Georgia, you go AWA, you can go Mid-Atlantic with JCP, you can go uh, Southeast, you can go the Mid-South, even working in uh, World Class with the Von Erichs or a CWA over there in Memphis for Lawler and Jerry. I mean, you've been there, you've done that. Of course, we talked about WWF. But do you have, you know, a favorite territory that you worked? Would it be the Mid-Atlantic, or did you really prefer your time in the WWF? Uh, well, I, uh, WWF was great because uh, that's where I made my most money. But uh, um, the most fun I had was in the Mid-Atlantic because that was my home territory. You know, I grew up in Virginia and, and all that guy, and I got to work uh, – um, the towns here and uh, and um, uh, the different spot shows and stuff that I got to go to when I was a uh, a kid and stuff and uh, and uh, some of the the great um, uh, uh, TV announcer uh, uh, Bob Caldwell here and like I said a lot of the guys I got to watch growing up you know Flair and Mulligan and and uh, Steamboat and uh, uh, Greg Valentine and uh, Wahoo McDaniel and stuff Paul Jones uh, the Anderson brothers I mean that uh, uh, for me, that was the uh, 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 the biggest thing for me and stuff is get, uh, was getting to to, to work with uh, the guys that uh, I got. To, I grew up uh, watching and admiring, and uh, and they all ended up helping me and teaching me some stuff uh, so much too. You know, that was uh, that was was great. I learned I learned from every one of these guys. Uh, Roddy Piper when he uh, when he when he was here and stuff. Uh, you know, it was uh, uh, Roddy was great to learn from too and stuff. So. Uh, so many great guys and stuff, but uh, yeah, of all the places, uh, Mid Atlantic was my favorite territory because it was home. Now, thinking back at all your, you know, your matches and your career and stuff, is there an opponent that really sticks out, or maybe a couple opponents that just your best chemistry, or you know, your absolute favorite, you know, guys to work? Oh yeah, well, like I said, uh, Steamboat, Youngblood, uh, uh, uh. uh uh, later on, Jimmy Snooker, you know, when Jimmy Snooker, uh, uh, where he was, he was a heel when I was in Mid-Atlantic, we traveled together. But the uh, AWA, when he came in and worked a baby face, because I got to work a lot of uh, 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 house matches with him and stuff and everything. And uh, and, sang, and a little bit, too, up in uh, uh, WWE and stuff and everything. It was Sergeant Slaughter, uh, 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 guys, uh, one of my great feuds and stuff. And, uh and uh, also, uh, uh, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, uh, I loved working with them, too, and stuff. Uh, uh, they, they were great guys to be in the ring against. So many great names. I mean, it's just it's so cool to talk to you tonight. and it's, it's been great hearing all these stories, and we really appreciate you taking the time. But as we look back on your career, and obviously we mentioned your last match with our good friend Rick Kelly, who is a part of a great tag team called the Starliners down in the Richmond, Virginia area, but as you look back on your career, you know, what, what would you say you left on professional wrestling? You know, you got to play a couple different characters. You've been an American uh, private hero. You've also been a Russian, you know, sympathizer. But what would you say your legacy is on professional wrestling? Uh, oh, I know. I just, uh, I looked up to so many great guys and stuff. I, uh, I just hope I, uh, that I was able to uh, 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 every night that I, w I went out there, I was able to give the people what what they wanted, 
what they paid to see and stuff and everything. And that was, uh, that was something that Jimmy, Jimmy Snooker taught me, you know, that, uh, uh, the people work hard for their money and stuff. And when they come, they want to, they want to see good show and, uh, and you want to, you want to milk them and, uh, and just give, give them everything that, that, uh, that they want to see, but, but tease them too, to the point that they'll want to come back and see you next time. And, uh, I just hope that the uh, the people who got to watch me and stuff uh, 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 enjoyed it and, and got their their money's worth because that's that that's what it was all about. It was all about doing it for the people, uh, for the fans, the people that that came out to either cheer you or boo you on. It was all about them. Can't uh, yeah, you can't forget the fans, and that's really awesome. And as a fan and a John as well, we appreciate that. <laughs> so. Thank you so yeah. much, Boris, for coming on with us tonight. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.